0: turn to 2 chronicles chapter 34 deb's going to read that for us
1: i'll be reading the whole chapter second chronicles chapter 34. in my bible it's entitled josiah's reforms josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in jerusalem 31 years he did what was right in the eyes of the lord and followed the ways of his father david not turning aside to the right or to the left In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim and Simeon as far as Naphtali and in the ruins around them he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed them, idols it to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple He sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the gatekeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from the people of Judah and Benjamin, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work over the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and their builders, who purchased dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The workers laboured faithfully. Over them, to direct them, were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Mereri and Zechariah and Meshulam, the descendants of Coeth. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge over the labourers and supervisors, all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes and gatekeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that had been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest had given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes, He gave these orders to Hilkiah Ahikim son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary and Uzziah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those, king, those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tolkath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has said. Tell the man that you sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people all the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive, And you humbled yourself before God when you heard what what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant of the presence in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God and the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territories belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God as long as he lived, They did not fail to follow the Lord their God of their ancestors.
0: Let's pray. Um, Father, thanks for uh, for your word, which is clear and speaks to us uh, so much of your grace and your love. Father, we uh, pray that as we consider this passage of your working through your people uh, so many centuries ago that uh, you would be working in our lives um, for your glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. In 1914, the Reverend Dr. Samuel Angus was appointed uh, to teach uh, theology and New Testament at St. Andrews College in Sydney University. And that was the college which trained uh, men to become Presbyterian ministers in New South Wales. (coughs) Uh, Originally from Ireland, um, Samuel Angus's resume was impeccable. uh, Academically uh, and in terms of uh, experience, it was undoubtedly world class. And to teach future church leaders uh, was a very strategic role because what they are taught at theological college uh, shapes what they then teach when they become ministers, what they teach to their congregations, what their congregations end up believing, what the young men uh, from their congregations who would then offering themselves up for, uh, to become trained as ministers would also believe. And so uh, it's, a, it's a generational thing. It's highly strategic to teach theology and New Testament to ministry candidates, uh, which Samuel Angus did in the college for uh, 29 years. Uh, he died on the job, as I understand it, which meant that he had trained multiple generations of Presbyterian ministers and therefore had a a huge impact uh, which spanned for a significant chunk of the 20th century uh, within Presbyterian congregations in New South Wales. And yet he was a false teacher uh, because he didn't believe some of the key um, doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, For example, he didn't believe in the Trinity, Uh, he didn't believe in the virgin birth, he didn't believe that Jesus' death on the cross actually atoned for sin, paid the penalty for sin, he didn't believe in the uh, actual physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to name just a few. Do you want me to go on? Now he came from a theological background in Europe, which held that uh, Christians must discover the uh, religion of Jesus uh, as opposed to the religion about Jesus. Uh, meaning that uh, it's the, our task when we read the Bible is to peel back the layers of mythology uh, to get to the, to the authentic Jesus, um, the true Jesus, the one who actually lived and discover who he was and what he believed uh, although if you peel back the layers of samuel angus's theology uh, we very very quickly discover that he didn't believe that the bible was the word of god and peel that layer off uh, and you realize that he didn't actually know god he wasn't a christian his influence was profound and it helps us to understand why it was that for much of the 20th century that uh, New South Wales Presbyterian churches did not clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus, uh, which was the true, true in a lot of denominations who'd been influenced by that particular kind of theology. So that rather than evangelism, uh, the focus of the churches was moralism. That uh, you come to church, you learn how to live, live a good life. Uh, if you live a good life, obey the Ten Commandments, everything be fine um, between you and God, however you perceive God to be. Which is a false gospel. Uh, that's very different these days, isn't it? Praise God. Um, because since the late 1970s, there, ha- there has been a gospel reformation which has taken place... Um, amongst us, amongst people within our congregations, within our denomination. but if it 's hard to understand or even to believe that things could have gotten that bad, as what I 've just described, we only need to look at the Bible, don't we? Because as we 've been looking through one and two Samuels, uh, one and two chronicles, what we 've seen is that, uh, is that Israel uh, and Judah had gone through significant periods in their history of apostasy, of of unbelief. And yet they had all of the advantages. God had uh, specifically chosen them and and had revealed himself to them. Um, God had uh, miraculously rescued them out of Egypt. Uh, God had made a a covenant with them that he would be their God, that they would be... the that God had made promises to them, that God had uh, blessed them in countless ways. And yet, despite all of that, in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, what is it that they're worshipping? Well, they're worshipping the god of Baal. They're worshipping the goddess Asherah. And they've, they've rejected God by doing so. And they're headed for judgment. Now, I want to say, this is a bit depressing, isn't it? I want to say that today's passage is good news. This is a good news story today, folks. Because under the reign of King Josiah, a great reformation took place, which had the effect of, of bringing people back to God. How so how did that happen well let 's check it out uh, two chronicles chapter thirty four and in in this this passage in chapter thirty four we see that some big things happen very early on in josiah 's life. Um, for example, when he was eight years old, his father, who was only twenty four years old at the time, was was murdered um, that 's not great news but what it meant was that Josiah became king. Uh, he became king at the age of eight. That's, that's how it goes when you're talking hereditary monarchy, monarchies sometimes. But there was another big thing that happened, and we see it in verse 3. Can check out verse 3. Uh, read it to you. It says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, so that makes him about 15 years old, In the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, his father was actually Ammon, but what this means is his forefather, uh, his great-great-great-great-great-great, etc., etc., etc. Grandfather was King David, and at 15 years of age, Josiah is thinking about the big questions of life. He's thinking about the issues of spiritual reality, that life is more than just this physical world, and he began to seek after the God of his forefather David, the God who had promised David that there would be an everlasting kingdom and that one of David's descendants would sit on that throne. Now, notice that the chronicler makes a point about Josiah still being young. Did you notice that? While he was still young, 15 years of age, I want to ask you this question. What do you think is the best age to start seeking after God? I want to say, now is the best age. doesn't matter how old. You can be eight years old. You can be 88 years old. You can be anywhere in between. When's the best now, do it, do it, seek after God now, uh, because he who seeks will find, Jesus promises that. If you don't know God, if you've been putting it off, then now is the age for you to do it. Don't put it off any longer. But what if you are still young? Uh, maybe you're a teenager like Josiah. I wonder if there's anyone here who's 15 years of age. You don't have to put up your hand. But what if you're still young then, wow! You have got the opportunity to seek God, to know God, to obey God, to live with God for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. So rather than turning to sin in order to try to establish your identity to find out who you are uh, and then suffer the consequences that go with that, you get to do it God's way from the very beginning and bear fruit for God for as long as you live. You don't have to waste your life. You can start right now if you're young. It's a great opportunity, just like Josiah who only had to open his eyes to see that uh, the whole nation was a spiritual wasteland and that a a great reformation would need, therefore, to take place. Now, of course, reformation is a matter of the heart. Reformation is a spiritual uh, contract between a person and God. It's It's an individual thing. We all need to seek after God personally and to put our trust in him. And uh, structures can't control that. But what Josiah as king could do was he could at least reform the structures so that they would not be a stumbling block for people getting to know God and that they would actually facilitate and enable people to know and to worship God. And therefore, two things needed to happen. One was negative and the other one was positive. Let me talk about the negative first because that's the first thing that comes up in the passage. Uh, In chapter 34, from verses 4 to 7, if you scan your eyes across that, Josiah needed to purge the nation of false worship. And so, under his direction, all of the Baal altars... All of the Asherah poles, anything to do with false worship was was cut down, was chopped up, was torn to pieces and was crushed into powder. (laughs) Now, he did the job properly, didn't he? he? Nothing was going to remain of this idolatry. And I, I think it's smart to do that. You've got to, you've got to do the job completely. It's like this time of year, our swoon pool needs a bit more maintenance than what I've been putting into it over the last three or four months because <clears throat> I pulled the cover off it the other day and guess what colour it is? It's green. It's green. And you, you, you guys probably do a better job than I. But I know that in killing off that algae that killing 99% of it's not enough. Because what's that 1% going to do? It's going to grow, and how's it going to grow? Mathematicians amongst us, exponentially. Exponential growth. And false worship in Israel and Judah was like that. Josiah knew he had to do the job properly. You don't want to... 99% doesn't cut it chop them down, cut them up, smash them to pieces, crush it to dust. That's the job he did. Good job, Josiah. And notice also that he didn't just limit this purging to the southern kingdom of Judah, where he was the king. Uh, The the northern kingdom of Israel no longer existed. We saw that uh, the other week, that uh, God had allowed the Assyrians to come in to to invade, to take over, to take a lot of the people out, to leave some behind, to repopulate it with people from other nations. Uh, And so Israel in the north was was actually now in ruins, under Assyrian control, with only a remnant of God's people still there. And yet, see what Josiah did in verse 6. In verse 6, uh, he tore down uh, verse six and seven. I want to look at. Uh, in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them—that's all up in the northern kingdom—he tore down the altars and the ashtrough poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. Right? So Josiah is now seeing himself as being, having responsibility for all of God's people uh, as the king in the line of David. And that includes up north as well. And he was concerned for their spiritual well-being. Now, it's, not, it's no good just um, smashing, old, uh, smashing idols and then just leaving it at that. Uh, you've got to put something positive in its place. And so six years after the purge began, Josiah commenced stage two, which is the positive side of the Reformation. Uh, Verse eight. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Masaiah, the ruler of the city, with Joaz Joah, son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord, his God. And so having removed all of the false worship or the the assets that were connected with that, uh, Josiah now focuses on restoring the temple in Jerusalem and restoring the worship of the true God uh, at the temple. And that's what the rest of the next section is about. Now, he was a good leader. He delegated responsibility to reliable men, whose names I can barely pronounce. And here we see that despite all of the idolatry that was going on, that there were nevertheless still godly people, that there was a remnant of people who really did love the Lord, both in the north and in the south, and they all pitched in to get the job done. In the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales, despite all of the false teaching in the 20th century, there were always men and women who remained true to the Word of God. There always were. And, uh, you know, we've, we've met some of them. Some of them in our congregation. And some of the people who I talk to uh, older people now, and they tell me that it was a real struggle for them. Uh, to They felt like a remnant. They felt like sometimes a persecuted minority. And when the denomination meets together for the General Assembly in Sydney every year, some of the older guys now, some of them very old in their 80s uh, and, not, and, and so on, They say to me that they remember the day when you'd go to the General Assembly and the last thing you'd hear preached would be the Gospel. Now, they praise God because uh, they say now we go to the General Assembly and we're only ever hearing the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. We owe a great debt to those people who uh, stood firm for the Gospel because in the 1970s, under God's uh, sovereignty, certain events occurred which allowed for the purging of many of the unbelieving ministers who left our denomination and went and joined another denomination. And when that happened, the godly people, the people who believed the gospel, they were there and they were ready to go. They were ready to move forward with the proclamation of the gospel and the reformation of our churches. And so we owe them a great debt. Now, under Josiah, the godly remnant faithfully, uh, we're told they gave their money and they gave their labor to repair and to restore the temple. Now, there's something I really like in verses 12 and 13. I don't know if this stood out to you or not. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. See if you can pick it. The thing I really like about it. Verse 12. The men did the work faithfully. Over them to direct them were Jath Jath and Obadiah. Uh, Levites descended from Merari and Zechariah and Meshulam descended from Kohath the Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the labourers and supervised all of the workers from job to job. Did you see it? Who did they put in charge of all the building work? The band, the drummer, the saxophone, (laughs) the guy on bass guitar. (laughs) Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But it's As this restoration work takes place, something absolutely remarkable happens. Um, Uh, Many years ago, I love telling you this story, many years ago there was a young couple who turned up here uh, in church one Sunday to our 845 service and uh, they had backslidden from God. Uh, They used to go to church but it had been a long time uh, since that had happened and the wife um, dragged her husband to church on this Sunday morning so 8.45, it's a young couple in their early 30s and afterwards as they, um, they didn't stick around for morning tea they just headed straight out the door afterwards and as they <clears throat> walked down uh, William Street to where they'd parked their car she was anxious because uh, she assumed that his response was going to be pretty negative. Um, but it was actually a start of their own personal reformation because uh, with a tear in his eye, he said to her, that's what we've been missing, the word of God, the word of God. It's also what Israel, and that was they went, moved from strength to strength after that, but it was also what Israel had been missing, the word of god i'm um doing some um, <coughs> painting in my garage at the moment, which has meant that i've had to clear out the garage to get the painting done. You know what happens when you're doing renovations at home or painting or you got go through old cupboards you got to throw and you, f- you find stuff that you haven't seen for twenty years you think I remember that thing, it's t- gathering dust. It, you, you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <clears throat> I cleared out the cupboards in the church hall once. Man, oh man, some of the stuff that had been there since the day of John Calvin, I think. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, here in the midst of renovating the temple, they found a scroll. Verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Wow. It was most likely Deuteronomy on a scroll. Um, A man named Shaphan took that dusty old scroll to Josiah the king and read it to him. I want you to notice Josiah's response, because an ungodly king might have said, well, let's just chuck it in the fire. In fact, next week, folks, uh, that happens, right? But not Josiah. In In verse 19, rather, Josiah ripped his robes, which in the ancient world, that is a sign of a symbol of utter distress to tear your robes. Why was he distressed? Two reasons. Firstly, because the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. Josiah was a man who had sought after God uh, since he was young, 15. And when he heard this scroll being read to him, he knew the voice. He knew who it was who was speaking. That this was God's word. It resonated with his heart. And we know that experience, don't we? Because the word of, of God is the sword of the spirit. And if we are people who have the spirit of God dwelling amongst, within us, then we hear the word of God, it resonates with our hearts and we know who it is that's speaking to us. And yet Josiah was distressed by that because he came to understand that Israel had not kept the word of God. And it was clear from this scroll that God's judgment would follow as surely as night follows day. Now, if you could boil it down, <clears throat> I think there's, you could argue that there are three spiritual truths which are the key to spiritual reformation. Um, firstly, uh, the truth that the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, secondly, that the central message of the Word of God uh, is Christ's death for our sins. So that thirdly, God trusts, God forgives all those who trust in Christ's death, put their trust in him. Now in an Old Testament sense, Josiah was like that. Josiah, who in verse 22, now wanted to hear more from God, and because the, the Bible had not been um, established at that time, was, uh, God's people would go to the prophets to hear God's word directly. And so Josiah wanted to go to a prophet uh, for more explanation. And so he sent some of his advisers to a lady by the name of Huldah, who's a prophetess, a true prophetess. And it's in the response from the prophetess Huldah that we see the gospel in Old Testament form. Um, Israel as a nation would be punished. They had already crossed that bridge of no return. God was clear about that. They would be sent into exile. However, check out verse 26. So, Chapter 34, verse 26. This is what Huldah says, Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourselves before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I've heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. Eventually God would allow the the Babylonians to invade and to conquer Judah and uh, to take the people Uh, Out of the land and into exile. We learn that next week. But the point here is that this generation would be spared, that the judgment of God would pass over Josiah and Josiah's people because of a humble and responsive heart before God. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of forgiveness to all who are penitent, to all who trust in him in repentance. And there was only one way that Josiah could respond. Uh, In chapter 35, and we're not going to go through chapter 35 in detail, but in chapter 35, Josiah invited everyone to Jerusalem. Uh, He invited all of Judah And he invited all the people living up north, all of the remnant of Israel, to come to Jerusalem because there, in obedience to the just-discovered book of the law, they were going to celebrate the Passover. Verse 18 of chapter 35 is a nice little summary of it. Um, In verse 18 tells us the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel and none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. This was massive. This was bigger than Hezekiah's Passover that we learnt about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, This was the biggest Passover celebration in half a millennium, in 500 years since Samuel. So this was actually the high point of the Reformation. Uh, In one sense, it was like a massive gospel event because what does the Passover teach us? It it teaches us that through the sacrifice for sin that God saves those who with humble, responsive hearts trust in, in him. That the judgment of God passes over all who put their trust in the sacrifice that is made. Like Josiah. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that's why Peter the Apostle wrote, and it's on your bulletins there, for Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's what was happening in Israel. This was a great event to celebrate God's judgment passing over those who put their trust in him. Now, the Reformation in the time of uh, Josiah had uh, clarity. I think it had clarity because it had both negative elements and it had positive elements. Um, Negative uh, in so much that the the idols needed to be torn down. That needed to happen. Uh, They needed to be torn down, they needed to be chopped up, they needed to be crushed to powder... But positive in that God's word was now being honoured. Uh, God's word was now being obeyed. And especially as it centred on the Passover, as it centred on God's salvation through the blood of the Lamb. The negative and the positive combined together gave clarity, uh, no compromise. And it's still the same for us. It's one of the reasons why uh, in Titus chapter 1, where Paul talks about church leaders, there are two qualities of of church leaders that that are needed, uh, amongst others. One is uh, knowledge and the other one is backbone. Uh, They need to have the, the knowledge and the backbone to hold firmly to the truths that have been passed down, to teach sound doctrine, and to refute those who oppose sound doctrine, to call false teaching out for what it is, and to refute it. Part of the problem with the Presbyterian Church in New South Wales back in that early part of the 20th century was that by the time Samuel Angus was brought to account to the General Assembly of New South Wales, the General Assembly of New South Wales was populated by ministers who he had trained and they weren't able to get him on heresy charges. But thanks be to God, the Presbyterian Church has been able to hold firm to the truth, uh, promote um, the truth and to refute those who oppose it uh, since the late 1970s. Uh, When a monumental shake-up or slash purge took place and uh, many of the ministers, I said, left and joined another denomination, one of the outcomes of that for us was that our denomination just simply switched colleges started sending ministry trainees to a college that actually believes the word of God, uh, to a college that actually holds firmly to the gospel of Jesus without compromise. And then they sent out all of these young ministers to congregations around the state where the congregations hadn't been taught the Bible for a long time. And they sent them out, fanned out across the state, Uh, in order to reform congregations Uh, so that through them that uh, people can hear the Gospel, people could be forgiven by God, saved from hell and live with God forever. Uh, Forty years on, uh, we've got a lot to be thankful to God for, don't we? We've got enormous... Uh, reason to be grateful. And I think that it's actually one of the great stories of, of Australian church history, uh, what God has done amongst us. But we must never take it for granted because we must always be, uh, be guarding the gospel. We must always be holding firmly to the truth as it's been passed down to us. We must always be teaching one another sound doctrine we must always be willing and able to refute those who oppose the truth of the gospel because, as we'll find out next week with Israel, we're only ever one generation away from apostasy. So we need to hold firm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Josiah who, at such a young age, sought after you. And we know that your word says that those who seek will find. We thank you for that. We pray for each one of us here that we wouldn't be those who just come to church without having a heart for you. Father, we pray that um, you would give us humility of heart. Uh, a contrition of spirit, that we would be those who tremble at your word, uh, who fear your judgment, but who actually celebrate the Passover, that uh, your judgment will pass over us because of the lamb that was slain on Calvary. Father, we pray that you would help us to be faithful to the gospel all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.